Hey everybody, welcome back to the newest episode of Neil Before Zod. This is episode 8. Uh, we're very happy to have you here. My name is Lee Kloss in Atlanta, and I'm here with Adam Levine. Hey everybody. Good to see you, Adam. How are you tonight? Doing alright. Doing alright. Awesome. Well, we're very happy to be back. We've had a bit of a, a hiatus. Uh, life just got busy, but we've uh, got a lot of things we want to talk about. We're going to be a little less formal tonight. We've got a list of topics, and we're just going to take turns going through them until we uh, run out of things to talk about or run out of oxygen. So, Adam, what's uh, what's on your mind to start with? All right. Uh, I'll start with uh, just one that just kind of bothered me. It annoyed me. So, Stars uh, secured Stars Network, which some people have, some people don't. I think we've talked about it. I think you have it. I know I have it. I do. Uh, they secured the rights to show uh, The Force Awakens on uh, pay cable, or, or sorry, pay specialty channel, I guess you'd call them. I have watched and it, And yep. so they, they premiered that uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was literally on every every Star's channel. I've only seen that done a couple times. Makes sense, right? They probably spent a lot of money, and it's a Star Wars movie. But so here's the thing. On not one of those, I think I counted seven, not one of those damn channels was it actually shown in its proper aspect ratio. And they, they were all just 16.9. And I'm like, damn, you couldn't throw a bone to like, like people who like, you know, to see a, an action film shot in its proper aspect ratio. I just thought that was so, such a bad decision. So lame, especially when you're showing it concurrently on six or seven different channels. Like, Why? So did it look like they were cropping to kind of maximize like screen coverage or were you getting letter by like, what were you seeing that was not, you know, when you, this is, this isn't an uncommon thing in their defense, right? If you watch a movie on HBO or Cinemax or stars or any of these things, you know, sometimes they'll show the original aspect ratio. Mm -hmm. Um, most of the time they don't, they don't, they just go full 16, nine, you know, standard, you know, HD widescreen full, full frame. That's what they're doing. Uh, but you know, again, I just, I, I was baffled by that decision. So I'm curious, what, 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 what clued you in? Did you, was it just knowing that, uh, that that wasn't the proper ratio or did you notice that like things I, felt a little too, too close? I, mean, or? I, saw, I saw the movie in the theater. I own the Blu-ray. It's, it, it is what it is. You, when you've seen a movie or, you know, a movie or simply have any familiarity with how films are shot, you know, that's not right. Right. The only time you're going to see the screen all the way filled the uh, filled in that way as if it's like an IMAX scene. Right. Right. So like in the, in the Batman movies where mm-hmm. Nolan went in and shot some of the scenes in IMAX and it's fucking jarring as hell in the theater when you go from the IMAX, you know, back to the essentially the bars and, you, and that's the same way they, they tend to show it on TV. But again, this was a film that wasn't shot in that aspect ratio. I, I just, I, I was baffled by it. It just didn't make any sense to me given that they were showing it on, on so many different channels at the same exact time. Because I, I literally went from one to the other just looking. I'm like, oh, they must be showing this in its uh, original aspect ratio on one of these channels. No. Well, that's a good, it's a good point. It makes you wonder if there's not going to be, you know, in the same way that uh, there was a, a time when, you know, the, the pay channels tra- uh, transitioned from 4x3 uh, to, uh, to, to widescreen. I wonder if there are going to be, like, enthusiast movie channels that really focus on, you know, 4K presentation and the absolute most pristine aspect ratio, like everything just right, 
optimum sound. I wonder if we'll get like a specialty movie channel. I would I would pay for that. I would totally buy that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think whether it's a, a specialty channel or somebody who, you know, Apple or somebody who comes along and starts saying, hey, we're going to we're not just going to give you 5.1. We're going to give you the DTS Atmos or whatever. Give you the specialty audio, give you the video the way it was intended. You know, I, I think there's a I think there's a bigger market for that than they're accounting for is my sense of it. No, I, I absolutely think you're right. And especially for, you know, these movies that uh, the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies, I mean, these the production values are so extraordinary and the quality of the effects are so high. Um, yeah, I think that the, the kind of people that would really uh, that, that, that probably uh, you know, rush to these movies would probably really enjoy that, that kind of presentation. It's funny. You did the same thing I did. I have the Blu-ray. I saw it multiple times in the theater. I still found myself freaking watching it on stars just because it was easier than popping the disc in. So it's, uh, I don't know why I do that, but I, I find myself watching whatever's on paid cable more often than I do actually popping my discs in, even though I actually paid for those. Yeah, no, I do it all the time. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. Well, uh, so uh, it's no secret that the, uh, the the PlayStation VR is launching uh, in the next uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, Taco Bell is apparently, you know, giving them away with the five dollar box if you get a little bit lucky. Um, this is kind of coming on the heels of what a lot of people think of is the year of VR with the Oculus Rift finally shipping and the HTC Vive kind of coming out of nowhere to be. Uh, to be pretty, I don't know if it's exactly successful, but I think impactful would be a way to, to throw it out there because uh, they really are two different kind of models of, of doing the same thing. And now PlayStation's hopefully, if you're Sony, bringing VR to the masses. Uh, I got to try a Vive and, uh, and an Oculus uh, uh, last week. Haven't really gotten to lay hands on the PSVR yet. I also got to try a HoloLens, which is kind of a different experience. But I'm wondering, uh, I actually don't have a PS4 yet. Uh, I, I know you do. Are you going to make the jump uh, or do you think it's too early? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I Admittedly, I have not had a demo with any of those uh, products you just mentioned. So I'm pretty ambivalent. I don't know. I, I think I mentioned this. We talked about, I think, VR a little bit in the past. I have very little desire to want to, like, strap a big thing to my head. You know, maybe maybe I'm just getting to the point where I have enough moments in my life where I have headphones on and to, like, combine that with, you know, a big, like, Cylon visor over my face. I, I don't know. I, I'm not seeing the appeal. And obviously they're pushing it really hard. We're seeing all these commercials. Uh, you know, they're advertising really hard for the Sony thing with the whatever it is, Taco Bell, and there's that big Samsung uh, campaign where they, you know, they just show people sitting around, you know, just being so emotional with their VR. And I, I don't know, I'm my, my interest level, you know, until I get a, a taste of it and, and it like clicks with me is it's pretty low. I will not be an early adopter. No, I, I've got to tell you, I mean, based on what I've been able to play with, I would not recommend being an early adopter uh, because honestly, um, I can't imagine. And, and you know, it's funny. I may look back one day, and 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 this is a really naive thing to say, but I can't imagine wearing one of these rigs for a very long time. Um, you know, the Hololens is, you know, obviously very technically sophisticated, but it's really heavy and it's sitting on your forehead. So by the time I wore this thing, about fifteen minutes, it was pretty uncomfortable and 15 minutes really isn't that long um i did get to try the uh, oculus 
Uh, it's the, uh, you may have seen it, it's probably the most popular demo they have right now because it really is just demo where it kind of feels kind of connecty. But it's, um, it's a rock climbing demo where you're actually, you know, like kind of get this experience of being in like Yosemite or something and there are uh, uh, wingsuit guys flying around behind you and you hear the surround sound kind of panning behind. Um, it, it's, it's a really cool demo and it's the kind of thing that I think you'd, totally pay like you know four bucks for if you were you know in vegas and somebody had a you know a rig set up and and you know you were in like an arcade kind of environment it's very hard for me to imagine actually doing it at home it feels very much like a um kind of like when when connect came out or we sports came out and everybody wanted to try it and you know there's kind of this hump where everyone was really kind of hyped about like the demo where and everybody wanted to show it off and everybody wanted to see it, but then nobody ever touched it again, you know, like, uh, it, it feels like the new motion control or camera control. And I, I'm not convinced. I mean, here's the problem, right? So to play any of these games, you've got to have a $700 rig, right? So I don't know where the software base is going to come from. I don't know how they're going to make enough money selling the software to warrant continuing to develop the software for such a small audience. And on the other side of that, uh, the audience is never going to grow without more software. So I, I'm kind of worried that this may be a flash in the pan. I, you know, I'm not sure we're in the Ready Player One future yet. The other thing is, you know, the thing that appealed to me at first was uh, the idea of having like a private movie theater, you know, really be able to sit there and have like a virtual gigantic screen with like in headphones, surround sound and kind of having this thing. Well, aside from the fact that these devices are kind of uncomfortable to wear for any significant length of time, uh, the screen resolution is not that great because the screen is only a few inches away from your eyes and it's magnified. So you can absolutely see dots and it, it's nothing like the experience of, you know, watching a proper television, even a, even a low end television looks far better, uh, for something like, uh, uh films and than any of these headsets do. So I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. Um, you know, the, uh, the Vive requires kind of a dedicated setup. It has these like sensors you put behind you to kind of, uh, to, 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 to track your entire body, but it's very hard to control yourself and you, there's motion sickness issues and, um, I think it's really fun to demo, but I do kind of wonder who's going to throw down five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks for one of these rigs. I don't know, dude. That sounds pretty shitty to me. Added to which, you need for the Vive or the Oculus a really beefy PC with a dedicated graphics card. Like you can't just run this right. off of you know even a, a, a nice laptop is almost certainly not going to be VR ready. So. You know, some of the new cards are pretty inexpensive. Uh, the, uh, the RX 480 is kind of the, the gold standard card now for VR. But even that, I just, I don't see the audience. I mean, it's like a sliver of a sliver. And I, I can't imagine there's going to be enough uh, in, enough of an audience to warrant real AAA gaming. I, I don't think it's quite there yet. I would definitely skip this generation. Done and done. You've sold done. me. I'm going to wait for the, uh, the, the decks that they had in uh, Strange Days. You know, it's like close your eyes and just like, boom, pop into your cerebral pop cortex. In. Yeah, yeah. So you skip the eyeballs altogether. I, exactly. I, I agree with that. All right. Uh, let's move on to another item. Um, there's a report out there that Sony has offered, and I've seen two different numbers, but somewhere between about $100 million and $150 million 
dollars to Daniel Craig to come back and do two more Bond films. Now he's previously said he doesn't want to do it anymore. These films are, you know, they take a very long time to make. They're very physically taxing. So my que- here's my question for you, Lee. Right, you can obviously that's an incredible amount of money. Then here's my question: Do you, do you feel in any way that it's fair for like Joe Schmo moviegoer to be critical of him if he turns that down? I, I have to say, I mean, you know, so he's done four movies, which is you know uh, not. I mean, that's more than the Timothy Dalton threshold. It's certainly not as many as as Roger Moore or Sean Connery, but that's a that's a that's a reasonable run. It's a you know, um, I think as much as I like Daniel Craig as James Bond, and I and I think Casino Royale is maybe my favorite Bond movie. I, I really really like that movie an awful lot. He's kind of he's kind of batting five hundred at best. Um, you know, Quantum of Solace is pretty crappy. Skyfall's good. I mean, but it's, I think Skyfall is mainly good because it's beautifully shot and lit. Uh, it's more fun to look at than I think it's a really particularly great movie. It kind of, it's actually kind of a stupid movie in a lot of ways, like plot-wise. <laughs> and and the, the, the things that happen are just so, like, outlandish and implausible. And I, I thought Spectre was a surprisingly kind of lazy, unexciting uh, kind of by the numbers Bond movie with a just I thought the the resolution at the end was just uh, out of nowhere I had no idea what was going on when they're on the, the the oil field or that that facility out in the middle of the desert and it wasn't an oil field it just looked like one um, it just I, that whole sequence was just bizarre so I I to your question should Joe moviegoer complain um, I. I like Daniel Craig a lot. I I don't know that I would be sorry if he didn't come back. I think that he might have honestly he looks miserable in in the in the role <laughs> and he always comes out of it just saying like how much he hates it and it's kind of starting to show, I think. How about you? Yeah, I short answer, I think it's time for him to move on. Uh and and there I don't know there's that level of desperation is kind of pathetic. You know, I I think ultimately they should they should believe enough in the brand. I, I honestly, I think they should be concentrating on on paying good money to a director, because I think totally. at the end of the day, he he was a he's been a very good Bond, but uh, the the two you know the two films you talked about that are the weaker of the four, it's not his fault. Those just weren't good stories, and they weren't you know they, it's not completely the director, but spend more money on coming up with a good story, get a good director in there, get a new Bond in there, and I I, I that's what I'd like to see happen. Yeah. And you know what I thought was kind of cool uh, and, and I'm not convinced that this wasn't kind of a retcon thing, but uh, I really liked the thing I did like about Spectre and about Skyfall and even Quantum of Solace, I guess in a way is that they were kind of all connected together. Now I thought the way the payoff for how they were connected together in Spectre was stupid and felt like it was never intended, you know, like to, to actually, I'm, I, I'm trying to kind of avoid, giving way too much, but, you know, this whole notion that, you know, there was a, a common thread through all these movies um, that neither Bond nor the audience ever saw coming. Um, I don't think that really worked, but I like the idea of a Bond series that is less kind of episodic and more serial. I think that could actually be really interesting, like a, like a trilogy of Bond films that actually work together. Um, I think that might be an interesting way to revitalize you know, what is, 
I don't know. I mean, reliable, but honestly getting kind of boring uh, brand. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. They, they, I think they tried to do what you were saying, but they just didn't come anywhere near sticking the landing. In fact, I think they kind of took a dump, you know? But, oh, they totally did. Yeah. Yeah, and those movies, honestly, uh, I feel like half the time they're always kind of just pushing to sell me things, cars and vodka and watches and things. That, that it's that's getting not, a little bit gross. That's not going anywhere. That's not going to go anywhere. Come on. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit kind of, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not naive, but I also like I, I, when I can feel it being pushed at me, like when the, when the Ghostbusters are eating Papa John's pizza and the new Ghostbusters movie, it's like, okay, they're eating Papa John's pizza, which is what no one in New York would ever do, but okay, fine. With Bond, I feel like it's just every item is branded and, you know, like, it's like the vodka, the watch, the car, the, you know, whatever. It, it's starting to feel kind of like Spaceballs, the flamethrower, you know, it's like, uh, so, uh, I, I, I kind of wish they would, they would get a little more subtle on that. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're going to. All right. Speaking of settle, I think we've uh, we've beat this one down. What's uh, what's next on your your punch list? Well, so uh, I am, uh, as I mentioned on the last episode, I'm I'm, I'm playing through uh, I'm playing through Doom, uh, enjoying right. Doom quite a bit. Uh, it's longer than I thought it would be, which I feel like it's true of every game that comes out nowadays. And uh, it's but it's it's really fun. It's 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 a real kind of a great shooter. So I, I started looking ahead to what was coming out. In, uh, in October on Xbox, and they, they had this nice little chart. And I said, oh, what's coming out? And, and here's the list of games that are shipping in the next couple weeks, and tell me if you notice anything in common about them. We have Mafia 3, Gears of War 4, WWE 2K17, Battlefield 1, Skylanders Imaginators, which is not actually any remotely English word, uh, <laughs> Farming Simulator 17, Skyrim, The Elder Scrolls V, and Titanfall 2. Look, I am not trying to say that uh, everything has to be... I'm not anti-sequel. God knows I'm not anti-sequel. But it's a little frustrating that literally every AAA game coming out in the next month is a sequel. And uh, I know we've always had sequels. I know they're not going away. But is there nothing original that anyone can come up with that's not just a rehash, a sequel, the same thing all over again? It really bugs me. Yeah, I, it's a problem, and it's frankly, you know, a problem we've been seeing for a long time in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, and it's 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 getting to where it's really watering down. I think it's really watering down the enthusiasm people have for games. I mean, it's you know, like. It used to be Call of Duty was an event. It used to be Halo was an event. I mean, the Gears of War games were events. And now it just kind of seems like the the annual drop, and nobody really cares as much anymore. Um, and uh, I think it's partially because there's so much product, and it's all good. I mean, that's that's the other thing that's, that's killer. I mean, these are games that are getting you know, multi, multi, multi-million dollar budgets and, you know, huge development teams and all this investment. Um, and it's like they get all this investment to kind of do the same kind of thing, but a little bit better. And uh, I don't know, I know game development's incredibly expensive, but it's frustrating that there isn't more support for uh, for genuinely kind of new and, and novel ideas. Uh, no, you know, 
I think every one of these games, except maybe Farming Simulator 17, is pretty much a guaranteed hit, which is probably the answer to why they do it. Um, but it's 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 frustrating, and it and it I don't know it, it really has kind of taken the wind out of my sails a little bit for uh, for gaming this uh, this holiday. Well, maybe a future pod for us is to uh, come up with our best pitches for a, a new a new area of gaming that uh, you and I can come up with and pitch to Activision or somebody and see if they'll they'll green light it. How does that sound? I think we I think we got to do it. I think we probably got some some good ideas rattling around. Uh, it's worth a go, right? Yeah, totally. Okay, next is a callback to uh, our previous podcast where you had mentioned in passing that you thought Scarface, uh, the 1983 Brian De Palma Scarface, was, I believe you said, not a good film in so many words. So I went back and I, I rewatched it because it occurred to me that I'm not sure I'd watched it in literally 25, maybe 30 years. And the notion of this film uh, that was in my head was like, I saw this in the theater in 1983 as a kid. And I'm not sure how I did since it was X-rated. Yeah, right. I guess somehow I got in there and got to see it at some theater somewhere. You know, and I obviously as a 13-year-old, you're watching this like, because what I had kind of forgotten, I had forgotten that it was X-rated and I had forgotten that people were very critical of it at the time because it was extremely violent for its time, which is sort of laughable now because any moment of violence that happens in that movie today is like commonplace, you know, on cable shows. Right. And it's borderline. Yeah. It's, it's over the top. And so I, you know, I, I'm not going to, I think it's an interesting film. I had forgotten also that Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay. And I think what dragged it down is it's too long and there's some seriously bad overacting that happens in a couple scenes. I'm certainly no expert on what a Cuban accent ought to sound like, but I'm pretty sure it's not what he's doing in that no, film. No, I'd say not. And all his interactions with uh, his sister are just terrible and the acting is garbage and the dialogue's really bad. And I, I think there's like a, a I, I say this a lot, but I think there's a good two hour film that it probably could have been edited down into. Um, but the one thing that surprised me that I actually think is the best thing about this film is the soundtrack, which didn't know this at all, is uh, by this guy, uh, uh, Giorgio Moroder, uh, who's sort of considered one of the kind of pioneers for like disco and electronica and that sort of transition, you know, into like that kind of cool synthetic music. And I'm going to buy that. I loved the soundtrack. Nice. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a funny thing. I mean, like, I mean, I guess some movies just naturally age better than others. I mean, like, like I have a bit of a Jaws uh, affection, uh, and that's a movie that effects wise certainly hasn't aged all that well. Um, but I feel like as a film, it's aged very well. I feel like it, it the, the pacing and the you know, it, it totally has some cheesy moments, but it's a movie that I can always go back to and I and I really enjoy it, even if it doesn't really give me any kind of scare. You know, it's not really like thrilling in the way it probably was back in 1976 but uh, or 75. Um, but it, it's a really, I think it's a really well-made movie. And I guess, I guess just movies age in different ways. I, I think De Palma as a director probably hasn't aged very well. A lot of his stuff is pretty... 
you know, it really does come to the uncomfortable edge of camp in, in a lot of cases. And sometimes, like, if you look at something like uh, Raising Cain, the John Lithgow kind of horror movie, I mean, it's totally over-the-top camp super cheese. And, you know, I, I if, if you're willing to, 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 to meet me halfway on Scarface, I'll meet you the other half of the way. It is a, it's a fun movie. I mean, it's ridiculous and absurd uh, and, and, and in some ways a deeply kind of stupid movie, but it's, it's totally watchable. I mean, I've passed it on cable many a time and stopped and kind of watched, you know, 10 minutes here and 15 minutes there. And it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, in, in its ridiculousness, but, uh, it surprises me that it's had this kind of cultural import, you know, like it's, it's really kind of caught on with, uh, with, with a generation and maybe, I don't know if they've ever watched the movie or if they just know the kind of the end where he just goes crazy and sniffs like, you know, six pounds of cocaine at once and just shoots up the place and then, you know, dies in a hail of bloody bullets. Maybe people just really love that scene. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a ludicrously absurd fun movie. Lee, what's uh, what's up next on your mind? So I have become a pretty big fan of EA Access on the Xbox One. Do you have a subscription yet? I don't. So please tell me and our adoring listening audience how the hell that works. So I he- honestly don't know. Here's how the hell it works. So, you know, EA is looking to drive steady revenue, as you can probably well imagine. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's just a reality of gaming now is a lot of games have very uh, short tails, if you will. You know, there was this notion that, that of the long tail, the product that sells a lot at the beginning and then continues to sell on into perpetuity, you know, games now really have a moment that they have to hit. And sometimes you get a big hit like Overwatch, and sometimes you get a big bust like Battleborn. And if you miss that first burst, you don't really get a second chance to, to, to sell your game. So what EA has done, and uh, I think it's actually been pretty amazing, it just is finishing up its first year and moving into its second, is they have a uh, subscription service, which um, uh, is thirty dollars a year, and it's some amount a month, five or seven dollars a month, something that's a little bit more a month. But it basically gives you access to a pretty decent number of EA games, uh, and they call it the Vault. So they have this kind of ever-growing uh, number of games that are included in your subscription. You can play them unlimited. You can play them online. You can do whatever you want to. It's really just like you bought them. Um, you can play them for free for the duration of the subscription you have. Uh, and uh, what's kind of interesting to me is, uh, well, the other the other benefit you get is 10% off any EA game. You get, I believe, a 10-hour demo, and then you get them three days early. Um, and the thing that's kind of interesting that they've done is they have started this, I, I call it a... a, a tradition, it's only been a year, but they've, they've done it for everything, um, is releasing all of the EA Sports games pretty much the week the postseason begins. So it's kind of acknowledging that everyone's trading in their copy of Madden or the trading in their copy of NHL, and they just make it inclusive. And so now they've got a library of 
upwards of about 20 games uh, that includes Battlefield 4 uh, it includes uh, all of the all of last year's EA Sports games uh, it includes uh, some newer smaller titles like Unraveled Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 1 and 2 um, Need for Speed the newest Need for Speed but it's basically kind of turned into a way for them to do two things one is to try to give these games that probably no one's buying anymore a longer tail and then what they hope you'll do is buy the dlc or you know remain a subscriber but it's uh if if you're a kid and you've got 30 bucks to spend on a game uh it's actually a pretty awesome package i mean you get access to a whole bunch of games uh certainly more than you know than than most people can play in any reasonable amount of time and uh you know the the only catch is that you have to remain a subscriber to continue to access them so it's pretty cool let me get this straight five bucks a month plus 30 that's 90 a year oh no 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 no. it's 30 or it's five bucks a month so you can pay by the month or or, it's kind of like it's the xbox so it's 30 or 60 correct correct because i was gonna say 90 bucks that's not (laughs) that wasn't adding up okay so hmm i'm trying to decide how enthusiastic i am see every time i've ever played any sports game and this goes all the way back to the beginning of when I played, you know, the EA games. I'm always most enthusiastic to play them at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to decide if I could get over the hump and be like, okay, I'm going to fire up my season of Madden, you know, in, in January or February, whenever that gets uh cut loose into the, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Well, and so, so the idea is, I mean, not to try to sell you anything, but the idea would be if you know, you're going to buy Madden, so you can buy Madden digitally for 10% off and get it, you know, three days early. So that's something. Um, but maybe you wouldn't buy NHL 16 or FIFA 16. Like I don't, I don't like, I really like playing FIFA. I don't give a shit about this year versus the year prior. You know, like I, I really, it, it doesn't evolve quite fast enough for me to care. So I, you know, I get to play, you know, a a few games of NHL if I want to, or, you know, I mean, NBA live kind of sucks, but you know, that's a, that's a, another option that's, that's in the, in the vault as well. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it, it lets you kind of sample and it's, you know, relatively cheap as, as these things go. Hmm. I think I'm out. Um, I think I would have a different answer if EA still had an MLB licensed game. Mm-hmm. If EA had the best NBA game and they're nowhere, they're not in the conversation at all with the 2K series. And if, and maybe this one, this is the most important one of the three, if they resumed putting out an NCAA football and basketball game. Yeah, that is missed. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. But I mean, uh, they don't they don't have the old NCAA football games on there, do they? No. So they mm. um, they don't have anything that wasn't issued for Xbox One. So it's only one games. They haven't done any back compat games yet. Um, they're you know there are always rumors that they might throw like a Mass Effect or something up on there. But um, but so far it's only been you know uh, games that have shipped since the Xbox One came out. Um, so far, the other pieces, they haven't taken anything out of the vault. Supposedly, they are not going to. Um, so, you know, obviously, if you sign up today, you're getting a much better deal than I got a year ago because you're getting all the games I got then plus a year's worth. And they release new games about every, 
maybe six weeks they, they put a new game in dragon age is in there but it's it's funny because the one thing that they do that people may or may not like is they only put the base game in so if you uh play battlefield 4 uh you know you're probably going to want the dlc packs and so you, you'll kind of fork over to to supplement your game um and you can buy them at a discount if you actually find you want to buy them um but it's you know for for someone like me that doesn't get to play as much as I used to, it's kind of a fun, you know, it's like a, I'm not going to go out and spend, you know, 50 bucks on Battlefield uh, just because I don't have the time to get good at it, but it's kind of fun to scratch that itch once in a while and just fire it up and see what it feels like, see how it plays. Um, And uh, it actually did sell me on Battlefront because I played the demo and I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. I mean, it's kind of a thin game, but I mean, the, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's kind of hard to hard to hate too hard on, on Battlefront. Um, and so, uh, I mean, for me, it's been really well worth it. I, I've gotten, you know, it saved me from buying at least two games over the year, and that's uh, that's a plus in my book. Yeah, you didn't, you're not selling me at all. Plus, I know you're pretty smart about buying games when they're, you know, bargain bin or, or cheap, cheap. You know, cheap, cheap, cheap <laughs> end of the year deals. Yes. So like eh, I'd still rather stick to my like every five years FIFA, maybe every two or three years Madden. Um, and that way I can still get my NBA 2K again every maybe three or four years on that. Mm. And I, eh, nah, you didn't, you didn't sell me. I have a question for you. Go ahead. Can I, can I sell you on a trip to Mars? You know, uh, are these luxury accommodations or are these the Matt Damon special? Am I going to be eating potatoes for a year? Well, actually, I, I think it's a bit more on the Matt Damon side. If you uh, uh, we're talking about Elon Musk, who is the uh, proprietor of the Tesla automotive company, and he's a very wealthy billionaire, zillionaire, and he wants to send people to Mars. And he's trying to sort of figure out the finances. Apparently they're very far along on rockets and testing and that end of the technology. But ultimately, if this is going to happen and they're going to colonize slash terraform, whatever the, the end game is, they're going to need people to go to Mars. And I know they've, they've solicited already applications from a lot of people. I don't know, man. He, you know, he, and he was frank about it. He's like, you know, you're probably not going there to live long. You're probably going there to die. Mm-hmm. You know, as, a, as sort of a, a, re, a reality check to folk. Totally. Um, would you ever, ever consider that? I, ever? I, for, so for me, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably at a bad stage of my life to ask that question. Um you know, you're basically saying, would I probably orphan my kids, or at least you know, orphan them from the paternal side? And uh, I, I wouldn't what if be. They could come. Uh, Bring the wife, the kids. Let's go to Mars. It's, yeah, I don't know, man. I saw that. Uh, I saw Lost in Space, the uh, the remake, and that didn't end well for the for the Robinsons. Um, you know, I, look, if I was uh, if I was, you know, 20 and I had, you know, great enough eyesight to be a pilot and uh, I I would absolutely pilot? you don't need to be a pilot. dude. I'm sure they want people who can at least be good at something. They, they're not just going to send like, you know, some like web developer up there. Like they're going to want people who can fix shit if it goes didn't goes down. Hey, man, you can like 
set up the network, figure out the Wi-Fi password on Mars. There's shit you can do that they would need. I don't think uh, unplugging and plugging back in the Linksys router is really going to be what they're <laughs> looking for. Um, but I, yeah, man, I, I look, if it were just me and I, I didn't have any connections to, 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 to people who would, you know, kind of be in bad shape if I left, uh, I would totally do it. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a, you know, particularly, um, you know, religious person. I, I, I think that, you know, that, that, uh, this is the life you get. And I think that would be a pretty amazing way to live it. Um, so I, uh, I would totally, I would totally go for it. I think that would be, you know, the most amazing adventure imaginable. Uh, how about you? What's your, what's your take? Fuck no. No way. <laughs> no way. Why not? Fuck that shit. I like earth a lot. Why would why would you ever want to leave Earth if you uh, unless you had no choice? I you know I think though that it would be I mean a you know that they're going to do everything possible to keep you alive right I mean I saw the, I saw the piece too and he's like yeah you know you know I mean uh, I did like the part where uh, somebody asked him if. Um, if, if the person didn't want to come back and he's like, well, the ship is coming back with or without you. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a round trip, whether or not you choose to stay. Um, I, I, I think the opportunity to go into space would be pretty unbelievable. Um, and, and to be the first person or the, one of the first people on Mars would be pretty hard to turn down. Are you the dude who like goes into like, you know, a new comment thread and an article and be like, first, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> That's like the thing you want to be like the last. Let them sort out the death shit because a lot of people are going to die. A lot of bad things are going to happen. You know, a lot of accidents are going to claim lives, resources. There's going to be a lot of setbacks. My my take is I'd be happy if, you know, my great, great, great grandchild, is, if such a creature is to exist, you know, th- let th- let them go to Mars. Let, let, let all the stuff get sorted out first. Well, and I guess the other question is, would I go to Mars on an Elon Musk ship or would I wait for the NASA ship? Because, you know, the interesting thing about this is, I mean, you know, uh, it, it seems like commercial space travel is pretty likely to push this to happen a lot faster than NASA would normally have it happen. I mean, they're going to iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate and do it when it's as safe as possible. And I kind of get the sense that Musk will kind of send people up as soon as he humanly can can arrange to do it. Um, so, I mean, he's likely to lose more people than I think NASA would be because they're going to play it, you know, outrageously safe. Um, but, you know, at the same time, going to another planet isn't really something that you can do all that safely, you know? I mean, it's there's a huge element of risk there. But, wow, I mean... How cool would that be, man? I here's the thing. I'd be perfectly content if, in our in our lifetime, which I think is you know certainly a very real possibility that you could get on some kind of a shuttle and orbit the planet, orbit Earth, you know maybe do a flyby on the moon. Uh, that would be you know if that were safe and commercial and you know affordable, I would be down for that. I don't feel any need at all to go to Mars, not one bit. I think just being in space and seeing you know our planet in its infinite glory would be good enough for me. Well, we'll have to disagree there, man. Cause I, I I'd be totally down for a little all red right, planet. John action. Carter, it's all fucking you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, uh, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the, uh, the iPhone, what we were uh, expecting to happen with the iPhone seven, uh, iPhone seven has come out. 
uh, and uh, there is no headphone jack, of course, to the collective gasps of you know, the world. People were kind of shocked and I think still are trying to figure out exactly what that means, whether it's just going to drive uh, it's simply a matter that it's going to drive Bluetooth headphone adoption or it's going to drive, you know, people to have a thousand little adapters or it's going to drive, you know, lightning connector headphones. Um, I'm an iPhone user. I believe you are as well. Um, are you planning to upgrade anytime soon? Are you put off by this? Are you going to jump ship to the uh, the Galaxy line and Android? What, what are you thinking? Well, I don't like phones that explode, so probably not. I've been on Apple uh my last three phones, four phones. Um, oh, that said, I've always been in every other. So I don't go in for the four, the five or the six or the seven. I always go for the S editions. Always I've always go. found that to be the way to go. Always so go for the a, S. Yeah. Right. So I'm on a six S. So there's, I, I never really truly gave any strong consideration to the seven, the seven S. Yeah, maybe. Um, I do very much like, I, I always like the advances in the, in the quality of cameras because I take a lot of pictures mm-hmm. and I take a lot of videos. So anything that gives me better quality, more storage, I'm all in for. And uh, anything that does speed up the device, I'm all in for. Those are, you know, I, I, I use my phone a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. It's almost too much. It's uh, kind of creepy when you think about it, that we're always kind of reaching for these devices in our lives. For sure. Um, I'm not at all, eh. I'm not super excited about the lack of the jack. Uh, I still have enough devices in my household that have cords and, you know, to think that you need yet another dongle to plug in to, so that you can plug into that. That that kind of sucks. That said, I also have a couple Bluetooth devices. So, I, you know, transitioning to that world isn't something like impossible to imagine. But certainly my experience with a lot of those Bluetooth devices is they... Uh, the quality is never the same, you know, as corded. So that the aspect of quality dropping, you know, I, I have some hesitation there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just seems to me so unnecessary a thing to drop. I mean, uh, Samsung was able to waterproof their phones and keep the headphone jack. So it's not about that. It's not really any thinner. I understand that they drop the jack so they can make room inside the phone for a little bit more battery and for the little the the taptic engine so it can kind of kind of click in different ways um and and you know uh, that's that's great i guess but i i I use the headphone jack every day right and i mean like i i'm i'm listening right now to you know my own monitor on a wired headphone i have literally like you probably three dozen random pairs of earbuds and headphones and you know all kinds of uh uh, you know both high and low quality audio devices around my house and they all work together through this common jack it's been around forever and i feel like it's kind of i feel like it's a it's an unnecessary change i mean apple sometimes does the hard thing and you know they you know, killed the floppy and, you know, everybody's kind of happy about that and they help kill the optical drive. And, you know, I'm not quite as happy about that, but I, you know, I, I get it at least. This, I don't think is actually an advance. I think this is actually, uh, Apple trying to, uh, to, to turn a very open standard, you know, the mini plug into, you know, kind of forcing you to, to either use a proprietary jack or to buy, I mean, let's face it, uh, as cheap as Bluetooth headphones will get, and they'll never get as cheap. I say never. 
but you know, I think we're a long way from them being as cheap and ubiquitous and kind of just easy to pick up and go with as uh, as a pair of earbuds. And it, it's kind of, I don't know, I think it's a really bad move, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you look at this and you're just, I, I was, when they announced that, I was waiting for the announcement of like the, the line of the Beats wireless, you know? Yeah. You know, they bought that company, you know they want to cash in on, on this change and they're going to. And they're going to sell all these dongles that people are going to need in this sort of transitional period. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not in love with it, but we'll, we'll probably, it'll probably be a non-issue in like three or four years. Probably. I just, you know, it's like something else you've got to keep charged and something else you've got to, you know, what is it paired to? And it's, I don't know. It's just like every everything Bluetooth seems to have just a little bit more of a, of a headache. Um, sure. And and honestly, like I just I, I I think it's so much easier just to like plug in a stupid pair of earbuds. And honestly, I I don't think the trade off is really worth it. I mean, uh, you know, the the Taptic engine was not really something anybody was fighting for. Um, a little bit of extra battery is nice, but honestly, just make the phone a fraction of a millimeter thicker. And you know, uh, I I, they, I think they took away the one thing that almost everyone who uses their phone uses, um, at least in my perspective. Maybe, maybe people are much more uh, into Bluetooth audio than I am, but I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm pretty down on it, and it's, it's the kind of thing that would definitely keep me hanging on to my... I, I have a 6S as well. It would keep me hanging on to my phone for a long time because I'm, I'm not ready to just get rid of all of my headphones and, and, uh, and, and audio accessories. So. Yeah, I guess that'll be right. The decision point is to when the 7S comes out or if you wait to the 8, you know, is that is that going to keep you from making that move? That should be interesting. Yeah, it will be. It will be. So speaking of taking things away from you, Lee, uh, the last game, the last Braves game was played at Turner Field. Yep. And, of course, you live in Atlanta. I, I used do. to live in Atlanta. So I uh, have a lot of fond memories of Turner Field. I must have seen at least three dozen games there in the uh, the six or so years I lived there, and I, a couple of those I'm sure I saw there with you. Yep. How, how do you uh, how do you feel about the end of uh, Turner Field? You know, I honestly uh, there there are kind of two major reactions that people have here. One is why because people really, you know, uh, say what you want to about about kind of downtown Atlanta. Um, there's not a whole lot of character there, but it's the kind of thing that when you drive through town heading into downtown you pass turner field on the highway you know it is a it's still a really kind of beautiful stadium it's it's a uh it's not you know it's not overly modern but it's not kind of too much of a throwback it's like a nice uh kind of comfortable you know uh very uh, i i've always found it a very comfortable place to go watch a game i i, I really like turner field quite a bit um so I think there's the, you know, like, was Turner Field really in the kind of shape that a new stadium was required, which I don't think it was at all. Um, the other thing is the location that they're moving to. Uh, so SunTrust Park is going to be really at the corner of two extremely busy highways in Atlanta. Um, you probably remember 75 and 285, oh, yeah. uh, 285 being the perimeter, being a really bad a uh, challenging part of town to wind your way through during rush hour. Well, now you've basically kind of forced tens of thousands of people, potentially, if the British can 
get tens of thousands of people to a game, uh, you're, you're, you're funneling thousands and thousands of people into this already crowded corridor at really very close to rush hour on, on most, uh, most weeknight games. Um, and to hear tell like kind of the, the, the local media, they have not done a particularly effective job at traffic planning. So the neighborhoods around uh, the kind of the Sandy Springs area, that's that kind of little town that, that, that's, that's around SunTrust, uh, people are pretty upset because they're not sure that there's going to be adequate parking and everyone's going to be wazing their way through their neighborhoods to try to get to the, the traffic. And it's it's going to be a frigging mess for probably a long time to come uh, because it's looking like they may finish everything pretty much just in time uh, for next season. So how about you? Are you uh, kind of sad to see it go? I know we did have some great memories there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always kind of sad when a park closes. And I thought one of the, uh, living in Atlanta, I thought one of the really cool things about, you know, downtown is kind of a wasteland. We've talked about this. It's like, it's so easy to film The Walking Dead there. It's almost embarrassing. But the, the fact that you had, you know, the, the football arena, the basketball arena, and the, the baseball field in, in relative close proximity to one another, I always thought that was kind of cool. I like I like cities that are kind of, you know, structured around sporting venues in, in, in a way that it sort of sets it up as, you know, a central part of the city. That said, Atlanta isn't, you know, it's not, uh, certainly in the years I was living there, it wasn't a place where people wanted to live downtown, but... You know the 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 groundwork was there. Mm-hmm. Had they done some better city planning along the way? Yeah, and you know it's funny because you know we are getting a new football stadium as well, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, is is definitely in in the downtown area. Uh, it's still quite close to the uh, the the to, to Phillips Arena. Uh, I really wish they had, uh, and maybe this is too much to ask, but I wish they had waited until they had knocked down. Uh, the Georgia Dome and build the stadium there because to your point I mean that would have been pretty amazing to have just a a huge complex you know where they could build hotels around and they could kind of deal with parking and they could just you know because there's a a lot of kind of blighted space there um, that that there's really nothing on that you know too many people care about Um, you know it's uh but it's the it's the suburbification of the Braves I mean they you know if you look at their kind of ticket distribution map uh the people who buy tickets to braves games are overwhelmingly from the northern suburbs and it's it's a more wealthy more affluent more kind of white area and that's unfortunately kind of i think what's driving a lot of this and um uh it's it's disappointing because i mean i thought that 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 was a part of town that really needed Turner Field. Now, people will say that Turner Field didn't really do a whole lot of good for for that part of town, uh, and and that may or may not be true. Uh, now, Georgia State owns that property and is going to, uh, I've heard, build their own stadium on that property or on or around that property. But I don't know. You know, it was where Fulton County Stadium used to be was right right next door, and it just I don't know. There's there's a lot of good memories there, and and uh, I'm I'm kind of worried that it will. You know, I mean, the Braves were always kind of a corporate team. Let's not kid ourselves, but um, you know, like it, it, it kind of feels like something's being lost, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if games in Sandy Springs will feel the same as games where you can see the Atlanta skyline right over the outfield. But I'm you know, sure not. Yeah. No, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I'm sorry to see well, it go. End of an era. End of an era, indeed. Farewell, Ted. Farewell to Ted.
Well, it's also, I suppose, the end of uh, of our podcast tonight. I think we're uh, running up on time. Indeed. Uh, well, I'd like to uh, encourage everyone to subscribe in your podcast uh, uh, website of choice, whether that's iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud. We're there. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Zod Podcast, and we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Zod Podcast. So uh, feel free to give us a like. Feel free to send us a message. We'd be more than happy to uh, to hear some feedback. And um, and we thank everyone for uh, for listening. Adam, I hope you've had a good time. I certainly have. I did. Thanks, everybody. Great. I'll see you next time. All righty.